and welcome to another edition of the Bet Sports Beat podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we look back at the Iowa State football team's victory uh, a week ago this past Saturday over Texas Tech and look ahead to this Saturday's ranked versus ranked matchup in Stillwater, Oklahoma against Oklahoma State. And to do all that, I bring in a returning guest to the podcast, Iowa State football beat writer and managing editor for CycloneFanatic.com. Jared Stansberry is my guest. Jared, always great to have you on the podcast, my friend. How are you? Absolutely, man. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Great to have you back on, as always. Before we get into the Iowa State football discussion, um, there is an additional thing to uh, add to your bio and your uh, career accomplishments and assignments as well. Uh, you have started a new podcast uh, since the last time you and I have gotten together on the podcast, the Talking Tall podcast. So I want to start, Jared, right there before we get into the Iowa State football discussion. Uh, what prompted you to uh, kind of start that podcast? And for those who haven't listened to an episode yet, which uh, just a personal editorial comment here, if you haven't listened yet, you definitely should. It's uh, extremely quality content that Jared always puts together. But um, as far as the Talking Tall podcast, Jared, what prompted you to start that? And for those that haven't listened at all yet, uh, what's kind of the premise and what can listeners expect when they tune in? Yeah, man. So, uh, I mean, the reason that I wanted to start it, uh, you know, obviously I've been doing the cyclone thing for uh, quite a while now. Uh, you know, 2021 will be my eighth year uh, on the beat. and um, Not that I feel like I've proven what I can do, you know, talking about the cyclones or anything like that, but I wanted another outlet to where, uh, I mean, I, I guess really the thing, the thing is that as I've gotten older, you know, when I started covering the Cyclones, my, I was 19 years old and now I'm 26. And as I've gotten a little bit older, you know, my, uh, interests have expanded a lot, you know, and there's, I've gotten an opportunity to meet a lot of really cool people, um, that have cool stories to tell, uh, that you don't tell on a Cyclone podcast, you know, and I want to be able to keep my cyclone content and what i talk about outside the cyclones you know somewhat separate uh for the most part and um that was kind of the main premise you know it's just it, it was an opportunity to talk to and do some interviews and stuff like that with people that i normally wouldn't get to uh, at my full-time job as well as the fact you know i want to be i want to grow as a long-form interviewer uh that i've done a ton of short you know, short type interviews, whether it's with recruits or coaches or whatever it may be, you know, where you're in the media scrum and stuff like that. But I wanted to um, get better at, at being able to interview people, dive deeper into their stories, um, you know, and just hear more about people's lives and what we can learn from different people and, and people that are in different walks of life. And uh, so on the first three episodes, you know, on the first one, I had Jeff Perlman. Uh, he talked about his new book, Three Ring Circus, which is about the Kobe and Shaq Lakers. And it, it was phenomenal. Jeff is a, just a really cool guy. I, I'd never gotten a chance to meet him before, but I'd interacted with him a little bit. And, um, you know, getting the uh, interacted with him online and getting the chance to sit and talk with him was really cool. And it was kind of the same situation with Reed Forgrave, who was on the second, uh, the second episode. And he just wrote a, a phenomenal book that if, uh, if you haven't read it, I mean, I, I highly suggest love Zach with, uh, 
uh, and it's a really tragic story, uh, but one that I think will hit home for a lot of people. And then on the most recent episode that dropped uh, yesterday, I had my friend Sean Roberts, who's uh, the morning producer for KXNO, uh, has a, his own show on Saturdays on, on KXNO and um, does his own podcast. And me and him just talked about, you know, how he came up. And uh, then we told some of our stories of us being friends and stuff like that. And um, I'll say here now, uh, this is here some, uh, I'll give you a scoop, Josh. I've got Rob Gray coming up on episode four. So uh, oh, that, that, a, that that's going to be a tremendous episode there. Stories, man. So um, I'm excited to do that one. I'm excited to hear more about Rob's travels uh, in, um, in, in, in Europe and, uh, and in Central America and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm very excited for that one. Rob Gray in episode four and uh, some more appointment listening uh, for for myself and I'm sure uh, and I'm sure anyone else that has listened to uh, any of the previous episodes there um, and I would imagine uh, correct me if I'm wrong here but I would imagine uh, available on any of your major podcast platforms uh, where folks might listen correct yeah for sure just gotta search talking tall uh, it's on iTunes it's on uh, it's on Spotify, it's on Stitcher, all that stuff. Stitcher was one that uh, I know my guy Ted Flint in Kansas was really adamant that I needed to get onto. So made sure and got that one done. So anywhere that anybody uh, looks for their podcast, they should be able to find it. And um, I've gotten a lot of good reception. So anybody that listens, I, I definitely will be appreciative of it. Well, again, on a personal note, I would uh, anyone listening to this podcast that hasn't taken an opportunity uh, to listen to any of those uh, first episodes of Talking Tall, I would highly encourage them to do that uh, because any anyone that knows Jared like I do and knows the quality content he puts together at Cyclone Fanatic, uh, this is just more of the same, just with a different spin to it. Uh, so would definitely uh, encourage anyone listening that hasn't checked out Talking Tall uh, to definitely do that. But uh, shifting gears, Jared, uh, to the Cyclones, which uh, you know very well. Uh, a week ago this past Saturday, Iowa State gets a 31-15 win uh, over Texas Tech. Uh, that win moved the Cyclones to 12-1 and in the month of October since 2017. The 12 October wins for Iowa State since 2017 is as many October wins in that time frame as Alabama and one more than Clemson. So before we get into a little bit more on the Texas Tech game itself, is there anything in particular you can attribute this Iowa State success in the month of October to in particular specifically? Um, I don't know that there's anything in particular, uh, you know, like super specific or anything like that. I mean, I think that, you know, we've been able to see over time now Matt Campbell in his fifth year just that his teams get better as time goes along. Um, and for some reason, they seem to hit their peak in the month of October. You know, I guess that's not the hope this year. We hope that uh, that peak can be still being reached. And, you know, as we get closer to the end of the month and going into the month of November with Iowa State, you know, right now in the heat of the Big 12 race, um, you know, I think that you know we hope that that peak will be extended. But uh, for some reason, these last couple of years, they've hit that peak right there um, about the third, fourth week of the season. And uh, you know, obviously, it all started with uh, that magical day down in Norman when Kyle Kemp led the Cyclones in to get a win over number three Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield. And um, it's it's something that has been really fun. Uh, you know, even 
for me or Chris and Rob to be a part of here over the last three years now, I guess going into fourth year, um, just because it was so unexpected, uh, you know, to think back to where we were at in 2017, um, you know, when that, when it really all started and, uh, there was no way to anticipate what uh, what we'd be going through in the next four October. So uh, it's been a lot of fun, man, and um, you know, hopefully it can continue on uh, on Saturday down in Stillwater, and then uh, next week down in Lawrence. Uh, we mentioned there the thirty-one fifteen win for the Cyclones over Texas Tech in a game that I think would be fair to say, having covered the game from home, and I know you were in Ames for that game uh, before the bye week. A 31-15 final score, but that is a game that the game was not as close as that final score uh, might indicate uh, that it would have been. Uh, but I, I want to jump to Jared, very first drive of the game for Iowa State. The Cyclone offense marches it down the field, and Connor Rosalli's field goal try is blocked and was uh, returned by Texas Tech for a touchdown. Special teams blunders, it seems, have come up quite a bit, it seems like, in the early part of the season for this Iowa State football team. Are the special teams difficulties that Iowa State has experienced to this point in the season, in your mind, is it bad luck? Is it schematic or execution errors? Is it credit to the opposing team or is the answer a combination of some of those things I mentioned in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a combination. Um, I think when you go back to those, the opening game against Louisiana, uh, obviously they returned the kick and returned a punt for a touchdown. Um, I think that that's just probably execution uh, as much as anything. Guys just getting out of their lanes or, um, you know, just making mistakes on where they needed to be uh, in the coverage units. That's what I would probably attribute those two things to. And that's, you know, that's guys just not doing their job at a high enough level. Um, and I think you've seen in the time since then uh, that both of those units have been considerably better. Uh, I mean, J.D. Spielman had a pretty nice little punt return for TCU in the second game uh, that Iowa State played. But really, other than that, I mean, those the kickoff and the, and the punt return, have been non-existent for Iowa State's opponents. And I, I mean, the kickoff unit, I, coverage unit, I think has been especially good for Iowa State. I don't know what the statistic is, but uh, I'd have to I'd have to go and look it up. But I mean, I I can't think of many times where a team tried to return it against Iowa State and got better field position than the twenty-five. Uh, there, I'm sure that there have been some, but it, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, but then, what happened? I guess it would be two weeks ago on Saturday. Um, you know, I think – so I don't – this is something I was talking to Rob about after the game. I don't remember exactly what the rule is on field goals, uh, but there's something about how you – I think how you can't use your own players to push yourself uh, through the line or over the line um, on field goal block. I think there was some nefarious stuff going on on that play. Uh, I think that maybe they did a good job of being able to use the rule um, but not get penalized for it. Um, and I think that you saw Iowa State do a much better job there as the game went along of being able to stand tall on those field goal, uh, on their field goal, uh, 
you know, protect and um, being able to get those kicks up over the top. So I, I think that there's, you know, it's a mix of everything. I'd say that that was probably more bad luck than anything else. Uh, but luckily it didn't hurt the Cyclones near as much as, uh, as the two against Louisiana did. Yeah, now granted on that on that uh, blocked field goal for Texas Tech that was returned for a touchdown, I, I only have the benefit to having covered the game from home of the TV replay, but it sure seemed like, um, if memory serves me correctly from that TV replay, it sure seemed like there could have, it seemed awfully close uh, to where there could have been a potential uh, penalty flag thrown uh, for leaping um, on that play, but um, again, having just the benefit of the TV camera angles and not being in the stadium, I'm sure that's a I'm sure that's a bit hard to tell from the the vantage point uh, that was available to me on the television replay side. And, and I don't even know. I mean, from where I was in the press box, I don't know that I really noticed it. Uh, I'd have to watch it again to be completely honest with you, too, Josh. Um, and I watched it two or three times. Uh, I'm, I mean, I think you've heard Chris talk plenty about how he's sick and he watches the games like five times. I'm sick and I get home and I watch the game again right away, uh, whether it's a late night game or an 11 o'clock game. So uh, not that day, I mean, but the week before when they played Oklahoma, I was up till six in the morning watching the game again. I was up till about three or four in the morning watching that Texas Tech game. And I watched that clip probably four or five times. And... Um, it just—it looked like the guys that were on the interior of the defensive line were, you know, aiding themselves by pushing each other kind of over the top. But it—the it, leaping. I think that both of us have an idea of what the leaping looks like. It wasn't anything like that for TCU, uh, or not, or not TCU, but Texas Tech. But it was something where it's like they're—it's a lot like holding. You know, I'm sure on every field goal they could probably call something like that. Sure. Uh, but Texas Tech was able to get away with it. Uh, as we mentioned there, uh, the 31-15 win for Iowa State, and, and as we mentioned, a game that was not as close as the final score might seem to indicate or suggest. And the biggest thing that stuck out to me, Jared, um, covering the game, is was really just the level to which Iowa State outplayed the Red Raiders in all phases. Um, you know, a couple key stats, uh, looking back at the final stats from that game. Defensively, Iowa State holding Texas Tech to 270 total yards. Just 58 of those uh, were rushing yards. And then on the Iowa State side of things, Brock Purdy averaged 9.1 yards per completion in that game. Uh, you were... You were at Jack Drive Stadium, of course, um, covering that game. I'm just curious on kind of your thoughts on that and on on Iowa State's performance at both ends and really dominating in what seemed like all phases. And in your mind, was the, the Texas Tech victory, was that potentially Iowa State's most complete game of the season? And where might that rank in your mind for Iowa State when you talk about overall performances in Matt Campbell's tenure in the midst of his fifth season? Um, man. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely have to say it's probably their most complete performance. Uh, really outside of a handful of miscues. I mean, the obviously the, the block field goal. Um, and then I thought that they got a little bit 
I mean, Dylan Sainer had a fumble. Uh, and then I thought they got really conservative in the fourth quarter on the defensive side, which I think was kind of to their detriment, and that's how Texas Tech was able to score a touchdown finally. But, um, I mean, other than that, I, I think it'd be hard to really sit here and nitpick anything from that game. You know, they made a hand, like I said, they made a handful of mistakes. Obviously, on that first drive, they did score a touchdown, uh, and then they had it called back by a, a legal procedures penalty um, for an illegal formation. And... Uh, other than that, like it's it's hard to sit here and, and think of anything that really you can um, say that they didn't do well. Obviously, there's still things to clean up. I don't think that obviously is playing its best football of the year that it will by any means. I don't think it's playing the best football that it possibly can with this team. Um, but I, I think it was a game where you saw one team control the other from beginning to finish. And even when Texas Tech was able to score that early touchdown, I didn't necessarily ever feel like Texas Tech had any level of control of the football game. Uh, obviously, it obviously was able to go right back down and score on the following drive. Um, and it just, it was something where uh, the Cyclones were able to control the line of scrimmage on both sides. They ran the football. They were able to stop the run on, on defense. Um, and then Brock Purdy, I thought, played his best game of the season as well. Uh, and was very efficient um, and was able to, you know, make the right plays, uh, basically from beginning to end. But as far as complete games of the Matt Campbell era, um, man, I'm, I'm just trying to think, uh, off the top of my head. Um, I think that the West Virginia game in 2018 would probably have to be up there. Uh, man. The Kansas game in 2017 coming off the win over Oklahoma probably would have to be up there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably right there in that top group um, of playing against a team that, you know, you basically control the pace and the feel of the football game from beginning to end. Uh, and the Cyclones just play so many dang close games, Josh, and you, you know that, that, uh, you know, it's it's hard to play. Like you can pinpoint a bunch of games that they played really well and stuff like that, but not ones that I would necessarily categorize as a as a complete game, if that makes sense. No, no, that that definitely makes sense. Uh, and you mentioned there um, in your response there, Jared, really the the efficient game, um, and and I think I think you hit the nail on the head there, calling it a efficient performance uh, for Brock Purdy against Texas Tech. Uh, 32 of 43 passing, 302 yards, two touchdowns. But the big stat there, he completed 16 of his first 17 passes. And it seemed to me, uh, it seemed to me, Jared, in covering the game and watching the game um, from home, it just seemed like an afternoon where Brock could frankly get whatever he wanted in the passing game. Yeah, and I think that that's where you've really seen Brock grow um, in the last year and a half or so, where he does a much better job of just taking what the defense gives them. Um, and that's what Iowa State was able to do early on in the football game where they were doing a lot of the, uh, you know, side-to-side, um, not, they're not Jets, but they're, uh, man, I don't even know if the right name for it is, but they basically look like receiver screens where you're kind of, you're throwing it forward, but the guy is, is behind the line of scrimmage um, out of motion and stuff like that. And I thought you saw them really loosen Texas Tech's defense up off of that. I mean, they were getting four, five, six yards uh, on every play when they were trying to do those kinds of things. Um, and that really spread Texas Tech's defense out towards the sidelines. And then you're able to hit them through the middle with the tight ends. Um, 
we believe some really big plays out of out of that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that Brock has just grown so much in just and looking at what the defense gives them and saying, okay, I'm just going to get it to that guy. We just need to keep moving forward, keep moving the moving the chains. Um, and that's what you saw from that Iowa State offense against Texas Tech, where they weren't necessarily trying to hit the big play. Uh, they weren't trying to do the flashy thing. They were just doing the best thing on first down that would set them up for second down. And then on second down, they're doing the best thing that sets them up for third down. And, uh, you know, it it's very similar to um, the way that Kansas State plays. It's uh, it's very similar to the way uh, the University of Iowa plays as well. And um, it's all about that complimentary football, control the ball, um, and do everything in a way that it sets up what you do. And um, that's where I think that Brock has, has really grown here over the last couple of years, and uh, especially since uh, I'm sure you'll probably bring it up since uh, since that October 6th day down in Stillwater when uh, when Brock made his debut against the, against Oklahoma State. Uh, yeah, there, there, there may be a reference to that game uh, as we, as we get, uh, as we get further along in the podcast. That's, that's probably a, uh, safe assumption there, my friend. Um, another game, another strong outing for, uh, Brees Hall against Texas Tech, 27 carries, 135 yards, two touchdowns. With that performance against Texas Tech, with the 135 yards against Tech, uh, Brees Hall became the first Cyclone running back to start the season with four straight uh, games of at least 100 yards rushing since Ennis Haywood in 2000. So uh, Brees Hall joining some elite company uh, with the start to his season uh, to this point. Certainly, Jared, any media member that covers uh, the Iowa State football team any Iowa State fan, any anyone that's covered or watched Iowa State football in the last couple years knows how outstanding and special of a talent that Brees Hall is as a running back. When you look at Brees' numbers to this point so far this season, do those numbers look any more impressive from the standpoint of Brees Hall is running against what is a banged-up offensive line for Iowa State that's been without Trevor Downing and Robert Hudson, to name a couple guys, in different points throughout the season to this point. Yeah, man, I don't I don't know what I can say about Brees Hall that hasn't been said already, uh, to be completely honest. I mean, that, that kid is that kid's special. Um I mean, for one, he's a hell of a football player, but two, he's a, an awesome kid from the interactions that I've been able to have with him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that you have to commend that offensive line at the same time uh, for the fact that they've been able to battle those uh, battle those injuries um, and play at a pretty high level, I think. I mean, I think that that's one of the biggest stories of the year so far is just the growth of that group. Uh, I think we thought that going into the season that the that they had an opportunity uh, to be better, um, and that the floor maybe would be higher. Uh, but I think that that group has even out- outperformed my expectations and that's without Trevor Downing, who's probably the team's best offensive lineman. Um, you know, that's with losing Joey Ramos in the game, uh, against Texas tech and Jake Remsburg, a Richard freshman from West Des Moines stepping in to play, play quite well. I felt like in his first action as a cyclone. Um, and I just, I think that, you know, 
it's a, a perfect mix of a good running back and a good offensive line that you know Iowa State maybe hasn't had here in the last couple of seasons where those running backs don't just have to be doing everything by themselves. I mean, that's the thing. You know, we, when you look back at what David Montgomery was able to do for the Cyclones in his time, so much of it was done by himself, and it was just David being a, you know, a crazy talent, uh, a guy that, um, you know, is as good as I think anybody that's ever ever come through this school. And um, I think that Brees has an opportunity to be there in that same conversation. Uh, he, he's proven that here so far through uh, his first season and a half as a as a Cyclone, and I expect him to continue to do so. And um, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all, man. I'll I'll make a I'll make a claim right now. It wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, in December 2021, Brees Hall was getting the call to go to New York City because that kid is uh, I think he's as good as any running back in the country. And as long as those guys up in front can continue to progress with him, um, I think he's going to have an opportunity to to showcase that on a national scale for quite a long, a long time for the Cyclones. Oh, uh, that 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 was a, a, a somewhat bold prediction there, uh, but but. Bold prediction as it stands right now at this point, but realistically, uh, I, I think I, I think there's a darn good chance uh, that you could be right on the money uh, with that prediction, Jared. Come come about 14 months uh, from now, um, Saturday afternoon, 2:30 Central kickoff kickoff on Fox, 17th ranked Iowa State at number six Oklahoma State. Uh, the First thing that sticks out to me, Jared, with this game is Big 12 championship game aspirations for both teams, and the game, and the and the significance of this game for that, for both the Cyclones and the Cowboys. Um, Oklahoma State is off to a strong uh, defensive start in league play. Um, they're allowing just 10 points per game, and they're two league games to this point. Oklahoma State coming off of two weeks off, um, and for me, Jared, I think I think where it all starts um, with this game, especially as you look at um, the offenses for both teams, is this game on Saturday uh, features a matchup uh, of two of the top three Big 12 running backs uh, statistically in Brees Hall and Chuba Hubbard. Just... Uh, your thoughts on uh, Saturday's game, and and to start with uh, those two running backs in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be it'd be difficult to sit here and say that this isn't a matchup of the of the two best backs in, <laughs> in the Big Twelve, um, especially now with uh, with knowing that uh, that Puka Williams won't be playing the rest of the season for Kansas, uh, and obviously Deuce Vaughn has been very very good for. Uh, for Kansas State so far this season, but I, I think that the two best uh, backs in this league uh, are Chuba Hubbard and Brees Hall, and uh, obviously we we know full well how good Chuba is. I think that we know how good how good Brees is, uh, but I think that when you look at you look at this game as a whole, man, I just I don't know what Oklahoma State is right now. Uh, I think that they've got a bunch of great players. Um, obviously, Chuba Hubbard's a great player. I think Tylen Wallace on the edge uh, for them uh, at the wide receiver position is a great player. Uh, I think Spencer Sanders is a, is a very, very good player at the quarterback position. Whether or not he will be the starter or whether it'll be Shane Illingworth, the uh, true freshman from California, uh, we don't know. Uh, but I think either one has – I think Shane Illingworth has the opportunity to be, a, to be a very good player in this league. 
Uh, but I think Spencer Sanders has proven to be a very good player uh, in his time as the, as the quarterback for the Cowboys. Um, and then obviously they bring a bunch of dudes back on that on that defense. And uh, but the thing about Oklahoma State, man, just because of the fact that they haven't played in by the time they play on Saturday, it will be in three weeks since they played their last game. Um, and the teams that they've played, and this is nothing against Oklahoma State, but the fact that they played Tulsa, West Virginia, and Kansas. Um, it, it makes it hard for me to really judge how good that team is. And yeah, I know they're number six in the country and all that stuff, and they bring these guys back, but it's just, it's really difficult, I think, to get a gauge of how good that team is because, you know, Tulsa, I mean, I don't know that much about them, I, but it's Tulsa. Uh, and then uh, West Virginia, I think, has not shown to be overly powerful offensively, especially. Um, and they've been kind of up and down here through the early part of the season. And then Kansas, man, at this point, I, I don't think that you should – the statistics when you play against Kansas shouldn't even count uh, <laughs> in my mind on some level just because that team is really, really bad. Um, so I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like this is going to be – it's two of the most talented teams in the Big 12. Um, but at the same time, I just don't know that I know enough about what this Oklahoma State team is to really have a super good, you know, or super solid feeling on it, I guess would probably be the best way to put it. Um, and I think it'll, I think it'll be a good football game. And I think it'll be a showcase of a, a bunch of the best players in the big 12. Um, but it's one that I just, I don't know how to feel about just because I don't know enough about Oklahoma state because they haven't been battle tested in the same way that Iowa state has. Uh, when you consider, uh, the fact that they played TCU on the road, and beat Oklahoma, which is two teams that I think would uh, would give Oklahoma State quite a bit of trouble. Despite Oklahoma State, um, as you mentioned, um, not not being as battle tested to this point in the season as clearly uh, what Iowa State has been, um, the the two weeks off uh, to prepare. If you're Mike Gundy and his coaching staff, is there is there any advantage there to have two weeks to prepare? And if so, is that advantage maybe not as paramount as it could be? Given to your point from earlier, to your point from from a moment ago, given that this Oklahoma State team hasn't been very battle tested. Um. I think that you can probably look at it both ways. Uh, I think that there's obviously pros uh, to having that time off. You get back to full strength. I mean, that, I think that Mike Gundy said that their team's as healthy as they've been since the season started, uh, which would make sense. I mean, when you get darn near an entire month off. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there's there's value in getting hit every week. <laughs> You know, to I, I can't for lack of a better way to to say it. Uh, I, I think that um, you know when you go that amount of time, it can it can make it a little bit more difficult in some senses. Uh, so I don't know that it's an advantage. I think there's there's pros and cons to it. I think it can be an advantage and a disadvantage in different ways. Um, and we're going to find out whether or not uh, you know it's going to be an advantage or disadvantage for uh, for the Cowboys. Uh, you know when they come out come out on Saturday because I, I I just don't know. I mean, there's not ever been many times that I can ever think of uh, besides bowl games where Iowa State's played a team 
that has had this amount of time off. So uh, it's it's hard to gauge. I, I, it's it just proves you know further proof of how unprecedented this season is. Um, you know, just as a whole in all of college football. And, and from a couple of angles, it could be a historic afternoon uh, and early evening uh, in Stillwater for Iowa State. Uh, the Cyclones have never started conference football play 4-0 in program history. And a win on Saturday in Stillwater would accomplish that. Um, additionally, uh, it could be a historic day potentially uh, individually for Brock Purdy as he is four uh, passing touchdowns away from passing Brett Meyer for most career passing touchdowns and additionally is two touchdowns away from setting the school record mark for uh, touchdowns responsible for when you combine passing and rushing touchdowns so potential for a historic day uh, both on the team front and the individual front uh, if you're Brock Purdy for Iowa State on Saturday Jared yeah for sure I mean I, I don't know how many opportunities Iowa State's ever even had to go to 4-0 in conference play uh, to, be, to be completely honest with you, obviously the last time was in 2002 with Seneca Wallace um, when that Cyclone team went down to, to Norman and, you know, frankly got their butts kicked. Uh, but I think that this is a, a different breed of, of Iowa State and, um, you know, a considerably different type of situation than what, uh, what the Cyclones were in uh, 18 years ago. Uh, and then as far as Brock, I mean, the kid is special, man, uh, and and it would be it'd be pretty cool to see him do that uh, at the same place that he was able to score his first career touchdowns. And um, yeah, man, I mean, it, I think it's going to be a hell of a football game, dude. Uh, and it's it's got an opportunity to be a, a really cool one. It's got an opportunity to be a huge one um, as far as the history of Iowa State football. Uh, I know Brent Bloom said on one of our podcasts earlier this week that Iowa State had never beat a ranked team uh, on the road when when Iowa State was ranked as well. I went back and tried to look at how many opportunities they've ever even had. Uh, It's not very many, Um, but, you know, hopefully they can go and and do that for the first time this weekend and um, put themselves in a position to uh, continue to to battle in that Big 12 race and kind of have a leg up and, and control their own destiny. Well, and and we mentioned earlier and have mentioned a couple times uh, throughout our discussion tonight, uh, the game in Stillwater in 2018 was really kind of when the emergence of Brock Purdy began. And so I would imagine individually for Brock going into this game on Saturday in Stillwater, I would imagine there's, uh, there's a bit more of, for lack of a better word, uh, a chip on his shoulder, for lack of a better phrase, to to come out and perform really strongly in Stillwater again, the same place where his uh, tenure as a starting quarterback really took a big leap two years ago. Yeah, um, I think that that's definitely fair. Uh, but I'll also say that, um, man, that kid is, is different, dude. Uh, I don't know that Brock Purdy cares who it is that's lined up on the other side. I think Brock Purdy is just going to go and play his football game. Um, or I, man, they could say we're going to line up 
you know, we're going to line up in a cornfield uh, on I sixty or on a on Highway sixty five between Slater and Ames. I think Brock Purdy to be ready to go. So uh, I'm sure that there will be maybe some nostalgia factor or something like that. Uh, but I don't think it really matters to Brock Purdy all that much um, where they uh, where they're playing and who they're playing because uh, I think that that's a kid who just wants to win football games. Uh, I will I will close with this one for you, Jared. Uh, three keys if Iowa State wants to get the victory in Stillwater uh, Saturday afternoon and move to 4-0 in conference play for the first time in program history. Okay, three keys. Um, well, number one, I'll make it a, you know, a dual one. Uh, you got to be able to run the ball, control the football, um, get Brees Hall going. And if Iowa State can get into a position where uh, where they are able to run the ball as effectively as they did in, get in that game against Texas Tech and, uh, and like I said, control the line of scrimmage and control the football, um, then they'll win. Uh, but on the same side, you got to be able to stop the run, which Iowa State has done a very good job of doing so far this season. Don't let Chuba Hubbard get going. Um, don't let him, uh, you know, start getting busting off the big runs that that he's be, become so known for that he did last season against Iowa State when he went 65 yards on one play. Uh, they've got to keep him bottled up. So that's the big the the big one is I think that Iowa State, if they can control the football, they can play the game on their terms. Um, then they're going to be in good shape. My, you know, my buddy Jeff Woody, who obviously is known to Oklahoma State fans, uh, and is my co-host on Football and Rain and Things on Mondays on Cyclone Fanatic. Uh, he talks about how uh, there's some teams in the Big 12 that play better in chaos. Oklahoma State's one of those teams, um, and Iowa State needs to do their best uh, to be able to um, to keep themselves out of those chaotic situations. Number two, they have to be able to to prevent. If it's Spencer Sanders that's back there. Uh, they have to keep him from being able to really beat them with their legs or with his legs. Um, if they can keep him in the pocket, make him a pocket passer, uh, then I think that they're in a pretty good position. If it's Shane Illingworth, then they really need to get after him. Uh, and I think that they'll probably send that, send that true freshman some different kinds of looks, try and confuse him a little bit, um, and see what they can do as far as their pass rush, which is uh, right up there is one of the best in the country. Um, you know, to really try and rattle those guys. And then lastly, they got to take care of the football. Uh, last season against against Oklahoma State, Brock threw three interceptions in the fourth quarter. Can't have anything like that again. Uh, got to take care of the football. Got to uh, do their best to, to limit the little mistakes and uh, and not shoot themselves in the foot. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, I think that if Iowa State comes out, Iowa State plays their game, and they put themselves in a position that uh, – you know they they're putting themselves there and not having to the game dictated to them by the other team. Uh, then I think the Cyclones are going to be in a in a pretty good spot, and I think they're going to have a, a really good opportunity to uh, to leave Stillwater with uh, with what would be a historic and and huge win. Uh, you know, with with great momentum moving forward into a, a game down in, in Lawrence against the Kansas Jayhawks, and then uh, to close out uh, this second pot of games um, against Baylor back at Jack Trice Stadium. <laughs> 